great. Come on up. Hey, stay here because because uh, we're gonna we're gonna pray for we're gonna pray for Mr. John and Miss Heidi and you guys. Okay. And uh, let me see, Malia. Hey, when we're done praying, do you want to walk around with this? Because I'm guessing a few other people are gonna want to give. Okay. All right. Let's pray, you guys. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for an opportunity to grow and develop our children. Uh, you have blessed us with them. So I pray that we would, we would train them up in the ways of the Lord well. I pray for John and Heidi as they're downstairs teaching them. Lord, I pray for those that are upstairs in nursery also who are teaching just through love to those little kids. Uh, God, may we, uh, may we steward well the lives you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys go ahead and follow Mr. John and Miss Heidi, because they are awesome. And any, any place you see hands raised, that would be great. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We are going to be all over the place today, but we'll be around Luke 7, Luke 5, Luke 14, anywhere in the Gospel of Luke. So if you want to follow along, grab your Bibles there. And Malia is making her way to the other side also. As she's making her way, I want to share a little bit about these past 10 days with you. Because these past 10 days have not been the norm in the Lehman household. They have not been the norm. And this has nothing to do with VBS decorating. Um, let me see if I can recount this. 10 days ago was July 1st. On July 1st, I had a friend named B. Elliot Renfro. This guy is a pastor out of Peoria, Illinois. I've actually met with him just twice face-to-face -face in the last four years, but we struck up a conversation at a conference four years ago and developed a friendship. We've talked a couple of times on the phone. Turns out he was driving his daughter from Illinois to Seattle to drop her off. She's going to SPU, and he said they were going to be driving through I-90. I said, well, can you stop by? Can you stop by for a meal? Can you stop by and stay the night? Which he did. It's great because we're still kind of in the getting to know you phase, but we had never met, never met his daughter, and we had an opportunity to have them over for dinner and breakfast, and it truly was a refreshing time for all of us. So that was a Friday night, July 1st. Saturday night, July 2nd, my family got invited to a wedding of a young lady who coaches at the gym where my boys train at. It's not specifically one of their coaches, but it's a young lady there. Um, We've got enough of a relationship with her that she invited us into one of the most sacred days of her life. We got to eat after the wedding also. It was really, really good. See, that was the first, the second, the third. That was a week ago. A week ago today. I had a wonderful morning of worship. At least I had a wonderful morning of worship. Hopefully you all did as well. And then later that afternoon, my family had one of our family friends over, uh, a family over for dinner and games. Now, this is a family that doesn't know Christ. They actually don't, don't have any interest in things of faith. At least they don't express that. And yet our family and their family have kind of adopted each other into our lives. We go to their kids' sporting events. They go to our kids' sporting events. We've been invited to graduations. Uh, we've spent part of Christmas holidays with them in the past. So a week ago on Sunday, we, we ate, we laughed, we had some side conversations that were that pushed depth. And it was great. That was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Monday was the 4th. We got together with several families from First Church, met out at Pavilion Park in Liberty Lake to celebrate our nation's birthday. We had some conversations. We ate. I managed to fall asleep on a little blow-up couch thingy. 
And then we celebrated the nation's birthday with a bang. Pun intended. Thank you, Abby. Abby's the only one that got that. That was Monday. Tuesday, I got together with a good friend of mine for lunch. We ate. We talked. It was good. That was Tuesday. Wednesday. Wednesday was also fantastic. Wednesday was the day we had six of the nine new families here over to our house for dinner. We invited several others uh, from the church that we knew would make connections with those families. So 31, 35 people on our back deck. Um, We ate. We had conversations. We laughed. We built relationships with uh, old friends, new friends, new family. It was fantastic. That was Wednesday. Thursday. Thursday, I was trying to get some work done, and I went into the upper room, uh, stuck my food in the microwave, and I was going back to my office, and they're not here, but Bria and Jenna and Tessa were in the upper room. Pastor James, did you eat lunch with us? So I sat down on the floor up there and ate lunch with them. Had a great conversation. We laughed. It was good. Right after that, I went and took... Jason's son, Ben, to ice cream. We got a picture? Yes. I had promised him ice cream. This kid is a genius. He, he used the word palate, like for your mouth, in an actual sentence as a seventh grader. As you can tell, he has a more controlled palate than me because he's got one small ice cream cone and that other pile of mess is mine. Okay? While together, we ate. We laughed. We talked. It was good. Uh, Friday and Saturday uh, were a little more calm in terms of guests at our house. Listen, this, this is not the norm for us at the Lehman House these past 10 days. I don't want you to hear this and think, that's the ideal that we all should be striving for. And I don't want you to hear this and think, they're putting the Lehmans on a pedestal because we're not. What I think was taking place is God knew what I was preaching on this morning, and he was saying, James, I want you to feel what you're going to speak about before you speak. So I have felt what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, If you don't know, I'm an introvert by nature. These last 10 days were extremely soul-filling for me. It's amazing how God works like that. This morning, we're going to talk about inclusive community. Now, what is inclusive community? Well, we're going to get to that, but the last 10 days, it looked like dinners with friends that were new friends, with friends that didn't know Christ, with new church family, old church family, people older in age, younger in age, people from the spheres of my kids' lives. That's what inclusive community looked like. And inclusive community is a big part. In fact, it's one of the three ways that we as a church are trying to be and make disciples. One of the three ways. Last week we talked about communion with God. We're going to do a little review here in a second. This week, inclusive community. Because we are striving to be and make disciples. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the author says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Be like Jesus. Okay, This is the being disciples part. C.S. Lewis, you guys heard of him? You trust him? Okay, He was quoted as saying this. The church, the gathered community of believers, exists for no other purpose than to draw people to Christ and make them like Christ. 
No other purpose. He says if the church is not doing this, then all the cathedrals, all the clergy, all the missions, all the sermons, even the Bible are a waste of time. Make disciples is what he says. Being disciples, making disciples, it's our mission, it's our vision, it's what drives us here at First Church. I told you last week Jesus began his earthly ministry on the the shores of the Sea of Galilee calling a couple of brothers. Come, be my disciples. He finished his earthly ministry before the ascension up, back up to the Father, telling his disciples, go and make more disciples. So how do we do that? That's what we're looking at in these three three weeks, last week, this week, and next week. And last week we looked at communion with God. The idea of communion was more than just bread and wine, bread and juice. It was the idea of a holy relationship with God, an intentional, purposeful relationship. And we looked at four ways that we develop communion, four ways that I called Sunday school ways. Let's see how good your memory is. What were those four ways that we developed communion with God? Go to church, check. Pray, sing, read your Bible. You guys listened. Well done. They sound like Sunday school answers, but we do them because that's how Jesus communed with the Father. We looked at several scriptures that gave us evidence of that. When we do this, it's more than just checking off a box of, check, I did that today. The purpose of doing those is to build relationship. We want to be like Jesus and say, I and the Father are one. So we're trying to develop our communion with God. That's part of discipleship. Today, inclusive community. Inclusive community can be summed up in a couple of questions really easily. But it's a challenge to practice it. Some of the questions. Who are you doing life with? Who are you letting into your castle? Who are you letting see the good times and the bad times? What people in the Christian community are you allowing in? And what people outside the faith are you risking to let into your life? Notice I am not saying who are you witnessing to. I'm asking what non-Christians, people outside the faith, are you risking to let into your life? Because if you truly let them into your life, they should see Christ. And that will give you opportunity enough to witness. So who in inclusive community are you daring to let into your life? This idea deals with both Christians and non-Christians. Okay, The Gospel of John, Jesus said this in John 13, 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, it would be easy for us to look at this saying from Jesus and say, he was talking to his disciples, so this only means we have to do this with other Christians. It would be easy for us to say that, but if you look at Jesus' life, you'll see that he lived this with everybody. Everybody. Now, it could also be easy for us to say, well, Jesus just lived this in the big moments of his life. Look at his baptism. There was a ton of people around. Honestly, nobody knew who he was, except maybe John the baptizer. Okay? So you can't count that as insiders and outsiders. We could say, well, what about just when he walked around, just the the roads of Galilee? There was people inside and outside the faith. Yes, that is true. Okay? But again, let's be honest. Most of those people were there because Jesus was a novelty. He was doing big miracles. He was raising people from the dead. He was feeding the masses. He was arguing with the religious elite. And when Jesus' teaching got tough, most of those people left. 
You see it in John 6, verse 66. Jesus asks his disciples, hey, look, at they're all leaving. Are you going to leave too? So we can't just look at Jesus' big events in life. We need to look at his regular, everyday life to see who he was practicing inclusive community with. And we get to see that by who Jesus practiced table fellowship with. Table fellowship. You familiar with the term? You know, a lot of us as Westerners, we think we are. You look at the last 10 days of my life, and you could say, well, James practiced table fellowship. Yes and no. Okay? Table fellowship back in Jesus' time was something so much bigger than just having somebody over for food. It was so much bigger than just, hey, you're going to keep walking on your journey, so here's some beef jerky and a piece of bread. Table fellowship back then, when you welcomed somebody to your table, when they welcomed you to theirs, it was saying, you are welcome here. You are part of us. You are part of our family. You're included. For centuries upon centuries upon centuries, the Jews had intentionally separated themselves because God had told them to. Okay? They had done all they could to be set apart. It's what God instructed. So any good, law-abiding, God-fearing Jew would never eat dinner or lunch or breakfast or mid-afternoon snack or second breakfast with a non-Jew because they wouldn't say, you're welcome here, you're one of us, you're part of us. They just wouldn't do that. A guy by the name of Jacob Neisner, he studied all the rabbinical traditions that appear to come from the Pharisees. Now, rabbinical traditions, these are the things that God gave the law, and then the traditions are what the Pharisees said, well, this is how we interpret the law, and this is what it means. Okay? So he studied all 341 of the rabbinical uh, traditions that are, that are uh, given to the Pharisee branch. 341. 229 of them deal with table fellowship. 67%. 67% that don't deal with how you commune with the Father, that don't deal with how you be holy, that don't deal with times of prayer. They deal with who you can eat lunch with. See the importance of table fellowship? In that day and age, it was huge. So let's look at Jesus. He's practicing inclusive community by table fellowship. Who did he invite to his table? Whose invitations did he accept? We're going to look at several. And we'll start with the easy ones. Jesus ate with his best friends. He ate with his disciples. Over the course of three plus years, you've got to figure they ate a few breakfasts, a few lunches, and a few dinners together, right? We see some of the ones at the very end of Jesus' ministry. In Luke 22, verse 14, it says, When the time came for the Passover meal, which was a big one, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. means they're going to eat a meal together. You look at Luke chapter 24, verses 28 to 30. This was after this long walk on the road to Emmaus. Jesus and these two disciples who didn't know it was Jesus were walking. They were talking. Jesus was uh, extrapolating the scriptures. And, and then they got to the end of their journey, and Jesus was going to keep going on. But the, the disciples said, no, come home with us. Stay the night with us. And when they sat down to eat a meal and Jesus prayed, that's when they recognized him. It was over a meal. Now, Post-crucifixion, again, like this walk to the road to Emmaus, Jesus actually restored Peter. Peter had denied him three times. 
and he brought him and restored him. Do you know where he took him to? It was in the pastor Jesus' office, wasn't it, at the church building? No. It was over breakfast. John chapter 21, verses 9 to 12, it, it talks about you know, the disciples had fished all night. Jesus told them, cast the net on the other side. They caught a whole bunch of fish. It's specific. It says 153 fish. And it says the disciples came, and when they got out of the boat, there was already fish roasting on a charcoal fire. Jesus says, go get some more, and I'm going to cook your fish too. Let's eat breakfast together. He said none of the disciples said anything because they knew it was the Lord. And it was there that Jesus restored Peter over breakfast, a meal. So Jesus ate with his best friends, inclusive community, pretty easy. Yeah? Somebody say amen. I like to eat with my best friends. Amen. There's another one that we might like. Jesus also ate with church people. Amen. Jesus ate with church people. Back then they were called Pharisees, Sadducees, and the religious leaders. Listen to this. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. He's inviting him into his life. So Jesus went home and sat down to eat. Another time, Luke chapter 11, verse 37. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So Jesus went in and took his place at the table. Another time. Luke chapter 14, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. Evidence that Jesus ate with church people. He didn't always get along with them, but he ate with them. He welcomed them to his table. They welcomed him to his. So far, so good. Yes? Table fellowship, inclusive community. Here's where it starts getting sticky. Jesus didn't stop with just his friends and his church people. He ate dinner and lunch and breakfast with people who would have broke every one of the 229 rabbinical traditions. Every single one of them. He ate dinners with people that no good Jew would have ever ate dinner with. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 and following. It says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector. A tax collector. That's like the worst of the worst back then. Okay? His name was Levi, later renamed Matthew, or also named Matthew. He was sitting at a tax collector booth. Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. Interesting. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law, the church people, complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call those who don't think they're righteous, but those who know they need a Savior. I suppose if this were the only time that Jesus did this, we, we could say that maybe he forgot those 229 rabbinical traditions. But see, this wasn't the only time that Jesus did this. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, a completely different time. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. The Greek says to draw near to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. 
In Luke 15, Jesus went on to tell the story of the three lost parables. You know, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Jesus was saying, these lost people are the ones that I'm eating with. The Pharisees were smart enough to realize that, and they weren't happy. But the notorious sinners would have been thrilled. You know why? Because they finally had somebody, a man of God, saying, you are worthy to eat at my table. You are welcome. You're one of us. You're part of us. In your brokenness, in your mess, come join me. The kingdom of God was breaking into the lives of people who needed it through bread, vegetables, and a good glass of wine. The kingdom of God was breaking into the lives of people who needed it through stale bread, maybe a little butter, some vegetables, and a good glass of wine. Table fellowship was taking place. Two other times that uh, Scripture mentions Jesus eating with people or being at a table that could make us kind of shudder a little bit. There was a time where he had been invited over to a Pharisee's house. It happens quite a bit. And, And then a teachable moment occurred. See, there was this immoral woman this widely known immoral woman that came and she poured perfume on Jesus' feet and she wept at his feet. And the Pharisee, whose house he had come to, thought to himself, if this guy were really a man of God, he would know who this was and he would shoo her away. But see, Jesus didn't shoo people away from his table. He invited them. That's Luke chapter 7. There's another time, and this last time makes me shudder. Okay? Jesus ate with sick people, like literally sick people. Luke chapter 14, 1, it mentions Jesus went to the home of a Pharisee. Luke 14, verse 2, says there was a man whose arms and legs were swollen. He had dropsy. He was sick. Any good God-fearing person would have walked in, seen that person turn around and left because they don't want to get it. I mean, it's cold and flu season, right? Jesus ate dinner with this guy. He didn't care if it was cold and flu season. He didn't care if they were lepers or they were lame. He invited them to his table. They were welcomed into his life. Jesus' table fellowship is the epitome of inclusive community. It's the epitome of inclusive community. In fact, he did it so well, he earned a nickname. A couple of nicknames. Listen to it. Luke chapter 7, verse 33 to 35. Jesus said, for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, he's talking about himself, eats and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who show it. Did you catch the nickname? What was it? Come on. You can say that a little bit louder because that's correct. He was a glutton and a drunkard. That was his nickname. Now, this wasn't just some random phrase that people made up to insult Jesus. This phrase ties back to the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, 21, excuse me, Moses is talking to the people, and he's telling them, this is how you should treat a rebellious son. Listen to this. It says, the parents must say to the elders, the son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Word for word of what they called Jesus. Then all the men of this town, Moses said, must 
take the guy out and stone him to death. In this way, they'll purge evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. By calling Jesus a glutton and a drunkard, the people calling him that name were saying Jesus deserved to die for what he was doing. They were saying he deserved to die for what and where and with whom he was eating. Said in our language that we're trying to drive home today, for the religious people, Jesus' inclusive community had gone too far. They were ready for him to be done. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Job. Job's final protest of innocence, he says this in chapter 31, verse 31 to 32. He says, my servants have never said he lets others go hungry. I have never turned away a stranger, but have opened my doors to everyone. Job, in essence, was living out this idea of inclusive community. Okay, One quick story from this. I actually learned this idea of inclusive community from my dad when, uh, when I was really young. And this story actually starts like every good story starts. It was a dark and stormy night because it literally was. It was the middle of winter, Highway 212 in Montana. It was cold. It was dark. It was windy. The snow was blowing across the road. We're trying to drive home from the reservation and out of nowhere. This guy appears on the side of the road, walking. Middle of nowhere. Dad pulls over and offers him a ride. This ride turns into a conversation. This conversation turns into an invitation to dinner. The invitation to dinner turned into an invitation to stay the night. And the guy looked at my dad and said, I haven't slept in a warm bed in weeks. I was a young and impressionable boy at that time. And I'll be honest, the guy scared me. He was rougher around the edges. He smelled funny, and I had this overactive imagination that wondered if in the middle of the night I was going to open my eyes and he was going to be there about ready to jump on me, okay? In the morning, he was long gone. We never saw him again. I don't even think my parents talked about him again. I mentioned this story to them this past week, and they're like, we did that? I learned the lesson of inclusive community. Job says, I never let somebody go hungry. Kept my doors open for everyone. Inclusive community. Barry Jones is a pastor of a Texas church, Irving, Texas, and he says this. Perhaps before we invite somebody to Jesus, perhaps before we invite them to church, we should invite them to dinner. Inclusive community. What does this mean for us? Okay, let's get practical. For a culture, I'm not saying us in particular, but we do live in this culture. For a culture that's really good at, on the drive home from work, pushing the garage opener button, the door goes open, right? It opens up. We drive in, we push the button before we get out of the car, so the door closes before we even exit. For a culture that builds six-foot privacy fences, I've done it, okay, so that you don't have to see your neighbors, for a culture that has moved the front porch to the back deck so that you don't have to talk to the three people who walk their dogs by your house each night. For a culture like that, opening your homes is going to be a challenge. But it's what inclusive community is all about. I heard a story from one of our new families. I won't even look at them because I don't want to give them away. 
at one of the, the places where they used to live, they used to make cinnamon rolls one Saturday a month, and they'd invite the entire community. Their doors were open. So I want to say for us as a community of faith, we need to practice inclusive community by opening our doors, open our homes. Yes, Marlene, I think you're right as you're handing out. Okay. Can you help her out? Thank you. We need to open our homes. Okay. Yes, open it to your best friends. Okay. Open it also to church people. But make an invitation to your neighbor that you don't know. Make an invitation to the person at work who is adamant against things of faith. And here's what I would suggest. Ask them their story. Ask them what makes them tick. Let them know, frankly, don't let them know anything. Just listen, okay? Don't try and pass your religion onto them. Pass the dessert. I'll say that again because half of us are distracted by Miss Marlene. Don't try and pass your religion onto them. Pass the dessert. Because when you hear their story, when they know that you're listening, that you care about them as people, God will eventually soften their hearts. And you'll have your chance to share about faith. Okay? Open your homes. It's going to be a challenge. Now, we are also in this series showing you guys how we want to do this sort of thing with our junior and senior high students. Because ultimately, I'm casting the vision that God has given to me for where we go with our student ministry. We had a young man last week, Ben, come on up, and, and you know, he, he did great. He answered questions. That I looked out, and there's a few of you like, wow, that kid's smart. And his dad's sitting there just beaming, Okay. I want to drive home inclusive community also. Now, what does that mean for us with our junior and senior high students? It means we need to invite them into our lives. And we need to invite ourselves into theirs with their parents' permission. Okay? I asked you permission to take Ben. Yeah? Good. Okay? Take him to a ball game. Take him to ice cream. Go watch a movie with them. Teach them a skill that you know, like game design like cooking, like woodworking. Let them teach you a skill they know. I dare you to play video games with them because you will get whooped and they will love you for it because it will tell them you're saying you're worth it, you're valuable, and I want to walk life with you. I understand that there are times when I ask you guys to do stuff that make you uncomfortable. And sometimes talking to a student can be uncomfortable. You know, you've forgotten that stage in life when you were in junior high or you were in senior high. You don't know how to talk to them. So I want to show you this morning how easy it is to talk to a, to a student. Okay? Dakota, where are you at? Come on up. I told Dakota beforehand I'm going to ask him a couple questions. We're going to simply have a conversation. And ultimately what I'm doing is showing you guys just how easy this is to have a conversation with Dakota. Now, he and I exchanged some texts this past week about a uh, geocache, a couple of geocaches. Okay, so we've got some common interest. He and I, we've got some relationship. Okay, so much like me, he doesn't like crowds. So we're just going to turn and face this way. Okay, sound good? Now, can you say something in there? Well, now did I forget to turn it on? Yeah, I did. Sorry. There we go. Hello? Hello. Perfect. 
Okay, so we're going to pretend like we are, that we're, we're already in relationship. How was your week, man, this past week? It's been good. Yeah, what made it good? Um, well, I've gone some, I've done some geocaching okay. on Spokane. Okay, and that's like a grown-up scavenger hunt, right? Yeah. Yeah, I bet there's some people out here who love being, uh, being outdoors that like scavenger hunts that maybe you could take with you and yeah, teach them. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Pretty cool. What's been the best part about your summer? Because you're no longer in school, are you? Turning 18. You turned 18. And going to Minnesota for going a week. To, you went to Minnesota for a week. What, to go to the, the Vikings football camp? No. No. My uh, grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. Grandparents? And see all my cousins as well. 50th wedding anniversary. No kidding. Right. What a legacy that they've left. They're still, still married. Yep. Which is challenging in today's day and age, right? Yeah. And you got to see some cousins. All of my cousins. All of your cousins. Well, except for four of them. Yeah. All except for four. <laughs> okay. Good. And it was fun. Yeah. How uh, we, we've talked lately. How's your health been? It's been good. It's been good, but you've gone through a challenging year or two, right? Yeah. Yeah. What's been the hardest part about that? Um. Hardest part. Can't really say off the top of my head. Yeah. Can't say. Has it been tough to uh, let me get wiped out when you're having the treatments and not have the energy to do some of the things you normally would? Yeah. Yeah. It's been hard. Been tough, maybe not to be able to run around quite as much as some of your friends, maybe. Well, I've never been able to do that really at all. So that's one of those things that maybe grieves you, huh? Not really. Not honestly. really. Well, you must be in a good space. Hey, do you mind if I somewhat regularly pray for you? Sure. Yeah, that'd be good. All right. Awesome. Do you see that conversation? It happened. Pretty laid back, yeah. You guys think you could do that? Do you notice? Thank you. Give him a round of applause. <laughs> Did you notice that except for that comment at the end about can I pray for you, there wasn't anything churchy about that conversation, right? But Dakota knows that I love him and that I care about him, that I'm interested in these things. It's all it takes for us to do with our kids. Our goal is to create lifelong disciples. And we do that through communion with God, through inclusive community, and through something else I'll bring up next week. Next week, I'm going to cast the entire vision of where we're going with our student ministry, all wrapped up in our final way that we as a church strive to be and make disciples. Communion with God, inclusive community, and next week. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for Dakota. I want to thank you for the life you have given him for the 18 years. God, I thank you for this milestone that he reached in terms of a birthday. I thank you for the legacy that his grandparents have left, being married for 50 years. I thank you for the chance he and his family had to go and see uh, the rest of his cousins uh, to get reconnected with them. Uh, Lord, I thank you for 30-hour plane, or not plane trips, train rides, and for the adventures of that. God, I thank you for the opportunities he's had to do some of the things he loves, like geocaching. And Lord, I pray for his health. Um, per his own admittance, it hasn't been easy, but he's got a fantastic attitude. And I've got to believe that attitude comes from you. Lord God, I pray that you would uh, continue to give the doctors wisdom uh, for his health and continue to keep his eyes focused on you. Jesus, as a community of faith, we want to be known as people who love each other, but who also love outward also. We want our neighbors, our coworkers, our cities to know that we love them 
And if we say we love them in Jesus' name, fantastic. If we don't, they just know that we love them and they're going to be drawn to that. As we've said already this morning, we can't do anything without your spirit moving. So we ask that you would draw others to the love that we're demonstrating to each other and to them through your Holy Spirit. God, may your provenient grace be at work. Help us, Lord, this week as we uh, practice inclusive community, sharing our table with people. Uh, God, and for those that are doing VBS, is sharing our lives and our energy with these kids. We look forward to hearing the stories of, of what you did this coming week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.